Welcome to Esoteric America, a podcast where we tour the strange, mystical, and esoteric pathways hidden beneath the surface of America. Join Mark, Tara, Roman, Chad, and a new local researcher each episode as we dive into our country's diverse regions, states, counties, cities, towns, neighborhoods, parks, etc., leaving no stone unturned as we unravel the occult knots that tie history, culture, religion, all in with fringe elements that you may not have realized that play your own backyard. Drove a herd of cattle down from old Nebraska way. That's how I came to be in the state of Iowa. I met a gal in Iowa. Her eyes were big and blue. I asked her what her name was. She said Sioux City Sue. Sioux City Sue. Hoodly your hair is red, your eyes are blue. Swap my horse and my dog for you. Sue City Sue. Ain't no gal that's true as my sweet Sue City Sue. Well, I asked her, did she have a bow? She said, yes, quite a few. Still, I started courting. Sweet Sue City Sue The first time that I stole a kiss Well, I caught her stealing too I asked her, did she love me? She said, indeed I do Sue City Sue Your hair is red, your eyes are blue Swap my horse and my dog for you Now Sue City Sue all right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again on Esoteric America. You know who I am. Got my lovely girlfriend here next to me, Tara. Hello. Say hello. Hello, hello. We've also got the magnanimous musician himself, Roman Merrill, who lulled us into a uh, energized state with some guitar and some research that he uh prematurely shared with us but that's okay we're gonna get into it in a moment roman how are you i'm doing well sir glad to be back here again gentlemen and gentle lady right on and of course the man from detroit probably stepped out from his stargate to be on this zoom call chad how are you today Hey guys, doing awesome. Looking forward to the show, man. What a couple awesome and exciting weeks it's been digging into Austin, Texas. Looking forward to capping her off tonight and, you know, it's going to be a good time. I got a lot of information Agreed. saved up from these last couple of weeks in my computer and in my brain and it's going to feel good to kind of put a cap on it tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully Emily's able to join us. Uh, she is planned on joining us as a guest. If not, maybe we'll have her on uh, in the future to to get her take. But Austin's been interesting. I think it was an appropriate city to spend the first uh, 
few episodes of our new format on just because it has so much to offer. I was looking on Google Earth, uh, some of mm -hmm. the architecture, and I noticed a lot of octagons uh, all across the city. But to wrap up, you know, what we've talked about so far, I mean, off the top of my head, I could remember last week we, we covered the first school shooting, the first uh, serial killer in America's history taking place both in Austin, strangely enough. Uh, we also talked about some cryptids. We also talked about on a previous episode all of the owls and even an owl man sighting. Um, the strange skyscraper, I guess you'll call it. I don't know how tall it is, but it has the motif of an owl sort of from certain angles. And yeah, we also had obviously Emily Moyer on to talk about her experience being an Austinite herself. Uh, and like I said, she might be joining us at some point in this episode, but we have no time to waste. Let's get into it. Roman, you had a bunch of stuff queued up. Do you want to share what you've looked into uh, this past week as far as Austin's concerned? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think one of the main things that we wanted to talk about tonight um, that we are actually inviting Emily back on for is this belt of Venus or the Venus belt um, and the purple crown that reigns over Austin. Um, it is it is beautiful. Um, and yeah, I was looking into that. Um, it's really interesting. So one thing I wanted to get into first, though, actually, is um, I brought it up in our first episode that we did on, on our own where we were researching. But the etymology of the name Austin, we know that Stephen F. Austin is the founder of Austin. Right. And we talked about the Austin family line. But um, the name Austin itself is is a derivative of Augustus, who was, you know, the the OG Roman Empire uh, uh, emperor, and uh, and then it it also uh, Austin is known as the little town of Athens, and I was like, okay, so Athena is tied in here now. Athena is incredibly important, and something that we should definitely try to remember is that Athena herself is, of course, associated with the owl. Um, and like one of the first coins, one of the biggest, most important coins of history is the owl of Athena that you see here. And these are some original OG silver coins back in the, 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 uh, the days of, of the, the Roman empire. And so you, uh, you see this, right? And you're like, mm, okay. So we see all these owls going, uh, going around, looking at these owl art, these owl structures, and and we're talking about a um, Austin, which you know pays homage to Little Athens, and it's known as Little Athens for this purple crown, this this interesting uh, celestial event that happens at sunrise and sunset. And it's like, well, maybe the are the owls there because uh, because it's known as Little Athens and in, uh, in, in, in ancient Athens and ancient Greece, they had these little tiny owls that would fly and they would be known to be a symbol of the goddess Athena and the goddess Athena uh, 
has a lot of symbolism tied to her. She was, you know, the daughter of Zeus, of course. And, you know, she's often known as, as the virgin, um, uh, but she's also known as as the uh, goddess of knowledge and wisdom. Um, and you see here, let's look at this photo. Where are you? Where are you? Um, and I was trying to find the connection between Venus and Athena, but they're kind of seemingly opposite goddesses. So I didn't find oh. that specific direct connection. Oh, yes, go ahead. I was maybe... Um Aphrodite is connected to Venus, so maybe through Venus or Aphrodite uh, is connected to Athena. I was, they definitely, they definitely ran in the same circles, but they were absolutely I, separate. I tried yeah. to find their like interweaving, um, but I think because the balance of opposites plays together there, I think that's kind of um, how that kind of comes into play. Uh, but I did find. There was all these statues, and I've come across these before, these statues of gods mixed together in ancient, um, in the ancient Roman times. And this is from the second century CE, and it's known as the Athena Isis Taichi, uh, Taiki, or Tycho, whatever, uh, statue. It's like a blend of all three of these goddesses. So taking all of the archetypes of Athena and Isis and Tyche and putting them into one. And so it, it, Athena is a very high regarded goddess, very powerful and um, symbolically, you know, it, she ruled the town um, of Athens, which is known as one of the greatest city, cities in the world, right? So we are now connecting Austin to Athens, which is known as one of the greatest cities in the world. Then you have these owl symbolism going on and you know, supposedly the Illuminati was a big, uh, big proponent of ath uh, 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 Athena worship. The Illuminati order was represented by a symbol of the ancient goddess of wisdom, Athena, or the owl of Minerva. Another emblem was a dot within a circle that symbolized the all-seeing eye. However, the all-seeing eye did not belong to God, but to a mysterious unknown superior that, that the order revered on the day of the inauguration. It was also symbolic. It was an ancient festival of fertility. Also, the night before was Walpurgis Night, a night related to witchcraft and evil spirits. So, um, yeah, the and I got some more uh, connections between Athena and the owl. Mythology depicted on owls is equally interesting. Athena was the goddess of both wisdom and warfare, combining with herself two qualities we find incompatible today, but the ancients did not. A telling difference between their world and ours. She was the patron goddess of Athens and one of the greatest cities of all time. And according to ancient Greek mythology, Athena was the daughter of Zeus and his first wife, Metis, whose name meant wisdom. Matisse warned Zeus that their first son would be more powerful than Zeus himself, which agitated Zeus so much that when Matisse came pregnant, he swallowed whole Matisse and their child unborn. This gave him a headache, which he cured by splitting his head open with an axe. Zeus may have been powerful, but he wasn't necessarily smart. From the wound came forth Athena, fully grown. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, that's just the connection between Austin, Athena, and the owls, my friends. Yeah, very interesting. I, uh, I that's interesting, really. 
Yeah, I went down a similar path in my research with making the connections between uh, some of the buildings in Austin and Athens, but uh, but I'm going to have to send you my links first, Roman, so you can share it. But uh, what do you think of that, Tara? Um, well, I was trying to look into it a little bit. Uh, I, I was looking into it a little bit um, and saw the... the I made the connection with the owls because the uh, the, um, the graffiti of the owls is all over the place in Austin too, um, and just yeah, the owl of Minerva is connected to oh, the owl of Minerva spreads its wings only with the falling of the dusk is a quote from um. Hegel, so I don't know. Maybe that's like connected to the Hegel. Yeah, this guy, George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Yeah, German philosopher. Uh Apparently, he was a uh, uh, he wrote the article or the journal. I have those. The prestigious yeah. journal. You do? Yeah. Yeah, pop those puppies open. Let's do some biblio. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, Bibliomancy? Yeah, let's do that. It's not what you think. It's <laughs> it's like, it's a bunch of. Tara. I it's it, a, it would just be fun to do. It was right. It's a bunch of professors writing about why they think Hegelian philosophy is important. That's all it is. Oh, I see. It's just like a preaching, it's of the, just preaching like, of the choir. Yeah, it's just like a it, like it's an academic journal, so it's like meant for other people who have that like academic pursuit. It's not like it's just it's 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 like a circle jerk of people who like Hegel. Like, there's no like, yeah, you know. I mean, I'm sure some of them are a little critical, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, it's it's all just like, yeah. And this is where you can apply Hegel's work to engineering. You know, here's another example where you can apply Hegel to social situations. But if people don't know, like, who, why, why is Mark like talking about this guy? Uh, Hegel is not exactly a good uh, in influence on Western culture, in my opinion. But that's not that's not really a conversation that relates to Austin, Texas. So we'll just leave that mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that is interesting. There's a whole group of uh, secret societies that use this owl. I mean, Tara can agree or, or support this. When we walk around Yale, uh, there's dozens of owls all over Mm -hmm. the buildings so clearly they have some sort of reverence for minerva or athena uh here too Uh, well i think you're right and i think there's you know there's that cross correlation between these different gods like this statue made by the romans themselves they were saying that athena holds the archetypes of isis who holds archetypes of taika as well and so you know Uh, which we also see a lot of ISIS worship uh, when it comes to the Freemason uh, symbolism and architecture and everything. So if you're seeing things that are um, resembling of Athena, they might also be cross-correlated and could symbolically be tied to to ISIS worship, um, which is heavy. You know, the cult of ISIS, absolutely. So Athena is in, in... 
in turn very similar to that and i think that's why these syncretic statues that the romans were making like i wish i could show you some of these other ones uh uh, and that's another we... episode, but yeah, they, they'll do things like uh, Hermes, Osiris statue. Like the Romans were making these like these really cool statues with like a bunch of gods mixed into one statue. And I'm not sure too much uh, the history and the reason as to why or who the artist was and where these statues were held. Um, but it is rather interesting. Um, but yeah, so that, that's what I have on the owls and, and Athens and Austin. I have some other stuff, but I thought maybe, uh, maybe, uh, pass the ball to just to keep it rolling and, uh, I'll come back to some of the other stuff here later. Yeah. Roman, I don't know if you noticed Emily is here. Hello, Emily. Uh, thanks for joining us. You're muted, but we're happy to have you here. Uh, and it's a pleasure to have you back on the show to, to wrap up Austin. Um, hey, how are I'm you? I'm so today? sorry. I'm no, good. I, I was fine. thinking I was going to get the link on Facebook from Chad. And for some reason I forgot. I, I don't know why I'm always confused as to whether Michigan is Eastern or central time. So when he was like, it'll come at seven 45, <laughs> I'm sitting there waiting for it to come at seven 45, my time on Facebook. So many apologies. I, uh, I was actually sorry. here, but 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 confused. So anywho, <laughs> glad to be back with you. Um, I've been I listening. Have to mix up. That's right. We've <laughs> only been we've only been recording for fifteen minutes, so you didn't miss much. Roman was uh, taking us through some of the things that he's found uh, connections to uh, Austin and Athens, and yep. uh, and obviously you sh- filled us in on some of the owl symbolism when we first spoke with you and. Uh, and yeah, we found a few more examples of that, which I'm sure you might be aware of. But um, we wanted to have you back on after you alluded to this violet crown. You know, we we were hoping to get into that before we uh, mm-hmm. left Austin. You know, we may come back to Austin sometime, but uh, but this is our our last Austin episode, so we didn't want to uh, leave out that very interesting uh, cliffhanger that you gave us about the violet crown. So thank you for having me back. And I want to thank you guys for that awesome time I had a few weeks back and um, getting to sort of go through that in the way I did has been really interesting for me and like made me like where I live even more. So I'm like even doubled down now on engagement in terms of like, how many places can this be? <laughs> right. Um, so uh, a couple of things uh, we can get into owls. We can get into violet crown. I was listening to one of your episodes. I think the first one you did after me uh, today. And just like, I was like, I have to stop listening because already based on the hour I listened to you guys there, I could probably talk for 10 or 20 or 30 hours. And I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to save everybody from all of that. Um, but you guys hit on a lot of really good things in that episode, um, some of which I, you know, maybe we can revisit here, particularly as it relates to um, Austin as a rainbow city and connections to the Wizard of Oz and the Giza Plateau and uh, the as above, so below mirrored symbolism of the rotunda and the upside down rotunda. So these are some things as well as some of the, some of the stuff you talked about in terms of the trees the Oaks, the Balcones Woods, the Treaty Oak, like there's all, there's a million places we could go. Um, but to answer your question for right now, um, as far as owls, the symbolism 
you guys hit it with the 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 frost building and i will explain whenever you're ready for that um the uh anubis disguised as an owl um there's also the owls on the bridge which we talked about yeah. um i didn't I wasn't aware of all that owl graffiti but there is a brewing company here called the blue owl as well as a glass company called the blue owl that is kind of a, a really weird store that we ended up at one day on like a weird one of our sort of owl synchro mysticism glass bead game episode that spilled into um, reality. The Blue Owl Brewery here is one of the most well-known for like the sour beers that have become really popular in the last couple of years. And it's located in an interesting area, but I can only think of one owl graffiti I've seen. Some of the ones you've shown, I don't know where those are. Those were... Um, Really interesting and fantastic. Um, as far as the uh, Violet Crown and the connection between Athens and Austin, that is the connection. The connection is that these are the two cities referred to as the cities of the Violet Crown. I wasn't aware that there was an owl connection there as well. And I obviously missed what you guys just said. So I'm unclear on that, on that connection. But what we discovered about the Violet Crown was kind of interesting. And I have a lot of really good pictures of this phenomenon that are not for some reason available querying that on the internet. Um, I didn't have time to put together a slideshow, but I know you guys put together a really cool opening. So who puts that together? Is that you, Mark, Chad, Romy? Who I puts do. the, uh, oh, who? Mark? I, I don't know if Chad and Roman are even aware that I do this. I maybe they've watched, but uh, I don't oh, ask so them good. to watch the the oh, episodes yeah. they participate yeah. in. But yeah, I make those. Never seen it. Tara knows about them. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, <laughs> I watch it. I love it. It's beautiful. I, I love it. I one of the coolest things about your show. And after mm -hmm. I saw that, I was like, can I yeah. have him make one of those for every episode of every show I do? <laughs> like some kind of, <laughs> it's really good. But I will good. send you a few of my best pictures of the Violet Crown. So you can include that in that if you like. All right. Um, Thank you. So yeah. it's called the city of the Violet Crown, as is Athens. That's the other city with that name. Now, I had never heard this term, the Violet Crown, in the first three times I lived here, I wasn't aware of this nickname for Austin, nor had I noticed that there were any references to it in the sort of social pop culture memosphere or anything like that. Um, when I came back here, I noticed the phenomenon, which is something I hadn't noticed before, which is this ring of violet colored light that circles the city I don't want to say all days, every day at sort of sundown, but somewhere between many and most. Um, and sometimes it's a full ring around the city and sometimes you just see it on one side. Um, I had never noticed it before, like my earlier times living in Austin. So I don't know if that means that it wasn't there or if it was there and I just didn't yet have the eyes to see or pay attention to those kinds of things. Um, and so... I thought that that was what the reference was because I found out that they call Austin the city of the Violet Crown. I, I look around, I see it. I think we read something in reference to that. But what it actually refers to, according to the small amount of research I've done on it, was the fact that Austin was one of the first cities to have a level of electricity in it that could be viewed from very far away. 
So people who lived off in other parts of Hill Country, Texas, would be able to see this purple ring of electricity based lights supposedly in the evening. And so they started to refer to it that way. There is now a trail. I think the trail's always been there, but I didn't notice it. That is in the Zilker Park area called Violet Crown Trail. There's a private road here close by where we live, which is on the other side of town, um, which there's a lot of things in Austin that there's one on each side. You guys notice this with the creeks, right? That it's a city that exists between creeks, that exists between bridges. There's also a Violet Crown reference on each side. But there are also all of these other things with the title Violet Crown now. There's the Violet Crown Tattoo Parlor, the Violet Crown Social Club, the Violet Crown Jazz Ensemble, and the Violet Crown Movie Theater. Um, and all of these exist in very close location to the areas that we were discussing sort of last time, that sort of downtown area between 12th on the north and between about Barton Springs or a little lower on the south, and then between Pleasant Valley and Lamar, right? And that is where the, the phenomenon maybe extends out farther, but when you're looking at it from within it, it looks like it's encapsulating that same area that I talked about. Michael and I also in an episode found our way out to something called, what's it called, the Violet Crown Amphitheater? That exists like out past sort of beat cave in the Bee Caves area, out past like Westlake area, which would be like where Joe Rogan lives. It's sort of like the wealthy homes in the grassy hills. Um, and there's this amphitheater and then this sort of very weird, what looks like a um like a holographic or like virtual reality mixed media kind of city or or like private community that they're building that you're able to sort of from that location observe Austin sort of from up on the hill. But when you look at the mock-ups for this supposed city, it looks kind of like, did you guys see that weird thing that came out like a couple months ago about the line in Saudi Arabia? It was like a whole city mm -hmm. and it was, it's kind of another iteration of that. And we went digging into the guy who was the designer or the creator of this city, we found some pretty weird stuff. It was several months back. Um, I don't remember all of the details, but on the last show, I, I put in the comment section for you guys the links to those two glass bead episode, game episodes that I made public. And that Violet Crown uh, episode was one of them. And the details on this person and that that development are are there but it's one of these really weird sort of scenarios where like is this even a real person or is this sort of like a cutout identity that was created to like do a bunch of weird stuff like he had some weird sexual improprieties but kept getting like these larger and larger deals that he didn't seem to have the experience for like i don't know some weird stuff like that um but there's now all of these references to the violet crown and just like the stories about why you can't go into the water here, if you ask a different person in Austin, you'll get a different answer as to why you can't go in. If you ask them what the violet crown is, you'll get a different answer. So that's the um, that's the deal with the violet crown. It makes for some of the most gorgeous uh, evening sunset, you know, visuals you can imagine. And some nights you get the complete upside down reflection of the city of Austin, as well as the colors of the sky. 
and it looks like kind of like what you showed in the owl's eye on that one piece of graffiti where the skyline was there with the pink and purple, but you see it both ways, like upside side up and upside down. Um, it's really interesting, whatever it is. Um, I have some theories as to what could be causing it that we can go into if you want, but what do you guys have to say? Uh, first question is what is the name of that, uh, that town? Is it like, is it still just considered Austin or is it, does it have another name where the, the neighborhood where the violet crown amphitheater is? Yeah, that you were just describing that's similar to that, the line, the smart city situation. Okay. Let, me, let me let me see if I can find, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if it's in what's considered Westlake or if it's in, uh, let's see, no, not the Violet Crown Amphitheater. Here we go. It, was it, Austin it, considered a smart city on its own? Did it did it sign up for that? Can it, um, so I think there's... Uh, areas of Austin that are participating in Internet of Things, Smart City. Screen share, I'll show you something. Okay, here we go. So this is the Violet Crown Amphitheater mock-up right here. And it's off of Highway 71 uh, in, in Southwest Austin. It's a music venue. And then there's all of this other stuff that was being built up around it. So I don't know if it's actually considered Southwest Austin or B caves, um, but it sort of sits on the border. It's yeah, it's, it's B, B, the B cave, Lakeway, Cedar Park. Like there's all these areas that sort of come together outside of Austin to the West of it uh, in the very green area of, of Hill, you know, of Hill country. Um, but we conclude in that episode some of the very interesting um, videos and media that have been sort of produced, giving giving like a tour of what it would look like. Right? It doesn't exist yet. Hmm. Yeah. It's it, man. There's a. It's really interesting because purple crown automatically first thing it kind of brings up in my my mind is you know purple is always uh, associated with like the the higher power, like the, the Royal family and the Royal house, but the purple is also connected to, and violet is connected to the crown chakra. So you have the purple crown, which is the color, you know, symbolized when you have that highest form of consciousness, the highest you can go is like that violet ray or that, that color spectrum. And so, which is really cool because, you know, you have that connection to the Venus and, um and and consciousness and love and unconditional love and but then you have like the royal family connection and and all of that symbolism that goes in there so you're like oh he's kind of sticky but um but yeah so there's so many so many ways to look at it i mean there's so many directions you can really kind of take with it you know you can take that that divine will that divine power that that good higher conscious state um or you can go like the um a little darker and kind of dive into uh, all this big money corporate owl overlords, you know, the duot into like this uh, sort of secret society of uh, homestead, you know, I, I don't know which way to look at it. <laughs> so I think it's a both and, and, you know, it's a show I recorded earlier today with Nish. We were also talking about Violet and Crown Chakra in relation to kind of different but connected things because at this point i think we're understanding the interconnectedness of all things so the other thing i think about 
when I think of violet is ultraviolet light or black light, which mm-hmm. for any of those who've been to like a Hot Topic or a Spencer or a rave in the <laughs> 90s, you know yeah. that things that you can otherwise not see, you can see when it's under the black light or the ultraviolet light. Like it provides a different light spectrum, but also it highlights the unseen, like every little piece of fuzz that your cat chases around and you normally can't see when there's a black light, you can see it, right? <laughs> so it's the, it, it, that, that frequency highlights the unseen and it's not a mistake that you see like the Li-Fi and the weird lights in certain areas of town under bridges where homeless people live, where there's a lot of strange incidents. I think that this creates a field for a lot of unusual sort of anomalies, but it's also, like you said, with the crown chakra, I think as we um, sort of push the energy up and elevate in this way, things that have been hidden in plate sight are going to become plainly obvious to us, right? We're going to see that there's a lot of stuff that has been the lore of legends and myth and whatever is actually present in our reality if we have the eyes to see and the awareness to unpack what it is we're actually looking at and that is definitely a crown chakra you know capability um and then there's the you know idea we're aware of the crown chakra but some people think that there's more chakras that exist like above our head and this gets into Mm -hmm. that area Mm -hmm. where you know indigo or violet or whatever come back around towards red and you get that sort of magenta tone which is like a pretty high vibration like when i am having like i have a sort of light spectrum remote view kind of thing that i do in certain instances like the highest vibration thing that shows up on those are always that color between violet and red that like purplish magenta sort of color, right? The thing that I'm going to be attracted to in the room will always be like lit like that, right? Hmm. Um so and can I make a, a a kind of a a random connection? Hi Emily, by the way. Oh, hi Tara, nice <laughs> to see you. <laughs> you too. Um with the with the crown, the uh, it's also called the the belt of Venus, right? And so Venus is connected to Aphrodite. And um, I found that Aphrodite is connected to Apollo. Like Apollo channels the energy of Aphrodite and creates with it. And that's, that energy is, um, I'll just read what I have here really quick. The three graces as her inflection as the moving powers of the energy of the world, the energy of the Apollonian mind moves everywhere through the muses. Muses are inspirers of illuminated mind whom receive energy through the graces. So like that, um, that's connected in, in this book I have here that the, the graces make up the energy of Aphrodite and then Apollo channels that energy like as, as light. So I'm just thinking that like the muses, um, are the, our creation and music and Austin is the music capital. And I think one of the most famous, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) 
I think one of the most famous muses was Apollonia for Sir Purple himself, Prince Rogers Nelson, right? Huh. Apollonia, wasn't she his muse during the heyday of his musical career? I think so, right? So um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, that When I was looking at it in terms of the connection to Athens and Greece, some of that came up and I hadn't thought about it that way about the muse and the connection to music, but there's, that would definitely be, Austin certainly has a masculine aspect to it, but it, it the, the, the violet crown would be something that I would consider definitely part of sort of the feminine inspirational energy behind a lot of the creativity that comes out of here. Well, and uh, on that note, the violet crown being originally named after Athens by, you know, classical authors who are writing about this glorious city. Uh, there's a couple different explanations for what Athens actually meant etymologically. And it seems like the first one that's proposed is uh, it means flower or the flowering city. So that is interesting. I mean, mm. violets are a type of flower and also... Uh, you know, we have this sort of feminine uh, energy in flowers as well. So, yeah, kind of all. There's the together. the flower of Venus, too, that shape that Venus makes as it makes its uh, uh, elliptical uh, rounds. So you guys seen, you know, seen that on the Tycho Brahe model where yeah. they show that the, the flower of the Venus, too. That's kind of cool because uh, uh, they call it the belt of Venus, the purple crown. I wonder if there is uh what what like I wonder if there's like a specific astrological viewing that you can get at both Austin and Athens that makes those two significant. And what I was reading about it is cuz it happens in other places of the world but not they don't it's not like exactly significant enough in a town it, like most of it happens like mountainous ranges but is a lot of it is like dust and part particulates nanoparticulates in the air that uh that reflect off the the sun or the anti anti-solar light or something like that yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that i've considered as to why I didn't notice it back in 1999, because there weren't as many particulates in the air <laughs> as there are now. And so it wasn't, it either didn't exist or it was much more subtle or much more rare. It wasn't like in every, I don't see how I could have lived in, I live really close to where I live now I, for a couple of years. So though I wasn't as observant uh, of the same things then as I am now, um, and I was distracted with a lot of things that I'm not distracted with now. I don't see how I couldn't have noticed it even once, especially because like I would walk across that bridge at happy hour to go into downtown from my apartment to, to meet people for happy hour. So you'd think that like maybe one time I'd have noticed the sky was purple, but I don't know for sure. Um, and so I think some of the confusion around what the name means or why there's so many things with that name in town right now um, may be very similar to lots of other things in Austin, that it's like a name with many meanings that sort of transforms and changes over time. And, and the legends, you know, I, I, 
we look back at history for the explanation of things, but I'm in a lot of ways, like more of a fan of the evolving story. Right. And especially if something can be true in many more ways than one, like I, I kind of like that, that feels like there's more to add to than there's just like when this one historical story that is like, you know, the, what everyone thinks it is and believes and doesn't allow for too much creativity or interpretive process for the individual. Right. So Uh-huh. And it's yeah. I don't know. You got your purple uh your purple crown going on all around you tonight, Tara. <laughs> um, I want to say something about what you said about the royalty though. Like the royalty aspect of this or is this higher dimensional stuff? And everything I've been looking into as of late, I come up to this point where I can either be I can choose to be like outraged or still bothered by the things that lots of evidence points to that somebody has done, done to humanity, done to the collective, done to me. And there's all this evidence and, you know, the sleeping people don't believe it. It wouldn't matter how much evidence you showed them. They wouldn't. And it's definitely there, but when I like get fatigued of being outraged or upset about that, then I'm finally able to look at like what's actually going on in a situation. And there's this greater mystery or phenomena. And, well, there's lots of them, but they're part of all the same story. I think that everybody is trying to understand. And there's some people who prefer that they understand it before you do. And if there can be, a story, a legend created, whether it be true or not true or partially true, that keeps everybody either distracted or outraged or wanting to avoid something for a really long time that allows them the space to sort of get out ahead. And once the outrage is gone and you can look at it and start to try and understand it, it's not that dishonest or immoral or bad things other people have done to try and keep that secret or to get out ahead of the knowledge of everyone else is okay or acceptable, but you can then sort of understand why they've done it. And then, you know, you can choose to do something else with the knowledge you gain on the other side of that. Um, but the, this, I think that it's entirely possible that a lot of the things that we believe about the Royal family are highly embellished. Lots of them probably not true. Some of them definitely true and unacceptable. Um, but the amount of energy and calories that are expended, like talking about that and trying to prove that and all of that other stuff, instead of being like, what are they really concerned with? Right? Like, what is the thing that they actually want to know that they don't want other people to know? Um, you can't know that while you're still mad about the secrets they're keeping from you. Right. And I'm not suggesting that it's okay, but I just, that getting to the sort of unactivated point by all their shenanigans allows for like the bird's eye view of the room instead of like being lost in the chaos of it. Right. So. Yes. Yes. I agree on that. Absolutely. I think the, I, I think just like modern, like Freemasonry and other uh, like assemblies, 
there's a lot of power that is just like kind of lost or it's more of a mockery of what it you know might have might have used to have been like well, being the king of bohemia being rudolf ii at one point meant something more than being the queen of elizabeth does now in like modernity you know like the queen there, of elizabeth? it used to mean something huh i don't think the queen of elizabeth has much but maybe the queen of england has a lot of power <laughs> <laughs> yeah the queen of elizabeth town in georgia um, but no, I was going to back up what you're saying about Freemasonry. Uh, remember when we were talking about like the the um, weird crimes in Austin and how, you know, maybe those were Masonic. So in this uh, Royal Masonic, to bring the royals into it, Royal, Royal Masonic Cyclopedia, it says that the first uh, Grand Lodge was granted by well, it first was in Brazoria, Texas, but then it shut down after or during the war with Mexico. And then they opened up a new one in Houston. Then it became kind of unfavorable Ooh. to be a Mason. And then after that, they opened one up in San Felipe de Austin. So this was still before Austin became the city that it was. So this Masonic Lodge was right there. Uh, seemingly in the beginning of Austin's history, well, at least at 1838, so uh, when it was still being referred to as San Felipe de Austin. This book was written in the 1850s. So, um, But then it says that they then took it upon themselves to move to Galveston, which, remember, we referenced Galveston and how they have those, that big blue pyramid there and... Uh, I, I don't know, maybe they had like a sort of secret lodge that remained in, in Austin, but it doesn't seem like Austin is uh, is like the home base of any Freemasons, which would make sense to as to why maybe it was, uh, I don't know, the victim of those things. Maybe they chose Austin for that reason to, uh, while they're hiding in Houston or Galveston or elsewhere, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm speculating and definitely being accusatory i don't have any evidence on on that so i'll just say coach my accusation with that but i definitely think that you know we got to look at groups like that during that time period uh maybe do, doing things politic for political reasons that wouldn't have been obvious at that time but would be more obvious now yeah i mean that's where you get into kind of like I don't know if any of you guys have ever looked into the uh, Dave McGowan work prior to Weird Scenes in the Canyon, the program to kill work. Are you guys familiar with his narrative on that? I'm not familiar enough with it. Please, can you give us like a quick rundown <clears throat> on it? So he wrote a book called Program to Kill that was like really all about the serial killer phenomenon. And you can still find a good number of interviews with him talking about this subject. In fact, somebody shored up like a really good one that was just about an hour long uh, a few weeks ago on some channel I'm subscribed to on YouTube. I think it was actually the Programmed to Kill YouTube channel, which is not Dave McGowan's, but it's based on his work. And um, he talked about the Laurel Canyon stuff in there, but he also talked a little bit about the program to kill. And what he found was that serial killers largely became a really um, convenient and effective in multiple ways uh, story to cover up um, political crimes, assassinations, 
and things having to do with uh, cartels, organized crime, other things like that. So you might find someone who um, committed one crime or two, right? And who was a screw or two loose and just sort of paint all of these other things, like tack all these other crimes on, whether they were already pre-existing in that area or when you knew like, okay, this guy's on the loose here. We can do all this stuff. We can go and take out like, you know, these people that are problematic or know this, that, or the other thing and sort of tack it on to some of them. And some of them were just straight up patsies the same way they are with the, the school shooters now. And he he also lived through and, and noticed that like it was really weird. We had all these serial killers and then all of a sudden one day there were no more serial killers. And now we had school shooters. Right. And school shooters seemed to also take care of certain political issues and problems, whether it be maybe not assassinations, but accomplishing certain goals. Serial killers created a tremendous amount of fear whenever you have a fearful public. Right. Then they're more malleable. But if you look at <clears throat> the backgrounds of some of these serial killers, some of the strange things and, and, and sort of connections and interactions they had. Like, I think he said in one interview at some point that like some of their parents knew each other. Some of them went to the same summer camps, um, you know, and then also this weird thing where you have like these celebrity murder, like forensic investigators and like, you know, detectives and whatever, who the same one that worked on this serial killer crime worked on this serial killer crime. And so, okay, like the, you could make sense of that and say, well, this person is the best. So we bring them in for all of them. But like, how good are they if it took three, six, nine months, two years, 10 years, some of these killers still haven't been found. Why would you bring in that same person to work on something else. And it seems like as soon as certain private detectives or forensic investigators or pathologists got hold of something, the narrative shifted just like in other political crimes. So you see with the serial killer phenomenon, which you wouldn't think of as overtly political in the same way you think of terrorism or assassinations of the JFK or RFK or whatever type, like you see all the same fingerprints there. Um, and so to your point, to what you were alluding to, I think a lot of things that have been blamed on crimes of passion or weird, like even maybe further back, like when I was listening to some of what you guys were talking about in terms of the Native Americans, like they would be accused of having committed barbaric crimes and things like that, right? I think that like they took advantage of the fact that they had spatial and temporal control of locations to make things appear a certain way. Like they ordered things in space and time in such a way that it appeared to be something when it was really something else. And I think that phenomenon persists now. And I think, um, you know, I think the lodge in modern times is very different than the lodge of old, just in terms of where, how, and when these people congregate and what they see as the floorboard. Yeah, absolutely. It, well said. I think there's a, a lot to, to look into with these crimes, and it's just too coincidental that two of the record breakers, you know, firsts happen to be in Austin, right? The first serial killer, the first school shooter, you know, obviously that big tower has a sort of, as Chad showed us in the last episode, this sort of like 
color phenomena that where you know they're shining these lights on it and you know maybe that stands for something it's sort of an ominous tower especially after everything that's occurred on the premises so um yeah i i don't you know i've never been to texas but i remember when uh when i first heard about like Joe Rogan moving to Austin and then the whole comedy scene kind of blossomed in Austin in a way right now a lot of comics are going there and I start hearing like you know just things here and there from comics on podcasts about Austin and it, it is it has like a sort of like um you know, interest like the guys who are a little less honest are all like, yeah, it's great. It's amazing. And the people who are a little more honest, so to speak, are like, yeah, there's uh, homeless people everywhere and it's dangerous. And, you know, you obviously there's a spectrum of perspectives there. Some people are putting themselves in dangerous situations and others aren't. But I I wonder if uh, the homeless situation where they're like seem to be flooding homeless people in certain areas. I wonder if that is used in a similar way uh, for political reasons, right? Like they ship these people on buses from certain areas to other areas, and Austin seems to. Again, yes. I've never been there before, but uh, definitely for, a part of city planning. Yeah, if, if if what I hear is correct, then it seems like Austin has that homeless kind of issue as well, as many cities do, specifically cities that seem to be more left-leaning um, politically. So. so you said a couple of things there that are interesting to sort of respond to. Um, first, as far as the relocation of the sort of comedy scene to, to Austin – like if you look at what I mean, Austin has always been a comedy hub. Bill Hicks is from Austin, right? And so there's always been nice. some of that here. Um, well, I mean, he he grew up in I think he grew up in Houston, but came here fairly early on and and was living here during you know a lot of his formative years as a comedian. Um, but and he was at you know at Austin Access Television in overlapping times with both Alex Jones and Freeman, I think. I think there was some overlap, maybe not Freeman. I know there was some overlap, but it, it was all kind of in the same few few period, you know, few years there. Um, there's a couple of things about Austin that the other thing with these comedians that are coming here, a lot of them are very into fitness, whether it be MMA or jujitsu or just weightlifting or other yoga, different kinds of things, right? If you look at that whole crew around those people, um, comedy and fitness, it's a, a, a train by day, Joe Rogan by night, all day, all night, right? I think is what it says, something like that. Um, this city is uniquely, like, uniquely benefits those who have good humor and good physique, good energy, right? Like if, if you're fit, both like mentally and physically and part of being fit mentally. And I think being a good match for this city is being more humored by things than you are bothered by them. Right. And then the fitness, like this is a, you know, like this is a very much um, a similar to California in that it's very warm here. So people's physique is sort of important, but also there's a lot of activities to do here, right? It's warm here. There's paddling and rowing and running and rock climbing and all of this kind of stuff. It's a very 
sort of fitness and athletic based place. But also, I think both of those are required for like the challenges of the upper layers that can be achieved here in Austin, right? These other realms that we're talking about, I think, require quick wit, fitness of body, fitness of mind. And so that is the archetype of someone who will do well here, in my opinion. Mm, Yeah, sounds very uh, Andrew Tate or that guy that was like around um, Kanye. Like it seems like there's like a weird overlap, you know, considering what we just talked about with Program to Kill uh, with like these like handler types and the fitness, you know, type you know uh what do we call them the personal trainers that all these celebrities have right the harvey harley pasternak's yeah (laughs) yeah i think i think both right so i think there's the dark side of it and then there's the other side of it right there's the people who are like genuinely partaking of this from their own space and not from some other kind of thing both things exist here you said something else after you asked me about the comedy people moving here that was interesting and that I wanted to respond to. And I can't remember what it was. What was the other thing you said? Homeless being used for political reasons. Homeless. Yes. They definitely like, there's definitely this weird phenomenon of like, they'll, the homeless will be allowed to congregate and build up and all this crazy stuff in one area for a bit and then suddenly they're gone right like overnight like there's no you don't see it happening it's just they're gone and then you don't see any of them for a while and then another in another part of town and then the same thing happens and again and it does seem to partially be tied to arguments over city planning and land rights and who's going to be able to build what where and sound or it, it, it does seem to be that that is part of the 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 show there but the other thing that i've noticed about um homeless people and i i could say this about los angeles as well but it's a little bit different here um i think there's a lot of unique individuals camouflaging themselves amongst homeless populations um and by unique individuals i mean travelers of the dimensional and temporal sort and i think that that's a I, I, I do a lot of observing of some of these homeless camps because some of them pop up right out here on the lake, on the trail where I exercise. And so sometimes I will look at the same person or the same group of people every day for long periods of time. And you begin to observe that not all of these people are what you first think, what they first seem to be. And some of them are definitely not there because they're fallen on bad times or hard luck or out of money or or something like that. There certainly seems to be some other things going on there. And I would say the same thing about um, some gang members and people who are graffiti artists and taggers and things like that. I think these groups of people are, some of them are very well aware of where some soft spots are and they're um, pretty fixated on them and they're leaving signs and clues as to what's going on everywhere well and on the point of like people being like walk-in stand-ins or even being possessed or like being vessels i feel like that's kind of what you're alluding to roman didn't you point out that there was an insane asylum that was built like one of the first major buildings in austin was this insane that that was chad but yes yes absolutely okay sorry chad so chad pointed this out and 
No. You know, recently I've been looking into a little bit of stuff about New Haven, and one of the things that came up locally here is this, you know, guy who wrote the first book about mental health. His name was Clifford Beers, and he he went insane, jumped out his window, didn't hurt himself, but, you know, for the rest of his life he was, like, not the same. And, and it seems like they sort of coerced him into this position and then he wrote a book and became this sort of advocate. But it, from the darker angle, it seemed to be gravitating towards that this episode. It seems like there's a an occult reason possibly for having these empty vessels wandering around. I mean, you have this asylum movement where they're bringing all these people into these asylums. Who knows what happens to them? A lot of these asylums coincidentally are built near mounds. We, we've established that on this show. And, uh, yeah, if these people are vessels, <laughs> looking back at Athens, right, the, the, the muses and the, the oracles, right, this was very much an accepted part of culture. So, I mean, maybe the elite, whomever they are that owned these asylums, had that in mind. You know, they, they, they create a bunch of oracles and muses and let them run uh, amok, so to speak, without any guidance and see mm. what kind of beings they channel. I mean, is this, is this, do I sound kind of James Shelby yeah. Downard crazy I'm just, right now? I'm, or <laughs> I just started this series called, um, uh, wayward pines oh. and it kind of sparked back up, uh, this like kind of like society as a creation, uh, aspect or, you know, like a, you know, test tube baby aspect that like we, you know, even in waking, understanding reality, we think we we have like a pretty good grasp on what the story is in our local uh, local scene in society. And it, man, like I'm like I'm not a big uh, proponent on simulation theory, you know, but I do like to ponder it at times. And just thinking of society as as, as some sort of simulation when you uh, you know talking about using human subjects as and turning them into homeless street people so you can paint a narrative or a political sway is really interesting but it is happening nonetheless like i know for a fact and i wanted to bring this up too because there's a lot of associations between portland and austin um and i'm I, i'm very familiar with portland i call it that's my home uh, airport that i fly into to go see my family i just spent four days there over the last weekend and uh it's gone to shit. <laughs> it's been sliding terribly. Um, but anyways, Portland is completely trash. Um, but both towns have the slogan of keep Portland weird or keep Austin weird. Portland has had that sign ups famously since the 90s. So it's been going on for a while. And um, I know Chad was looking into some of the bat stuff that Austin is known for, like all these swarms of bats. Um, well, it's very famous that Portland has swarms and swaths of crows. So you have murders flying above the town and very, 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 very uh, significant of the, the emo energy that's there, you know, and you have the heavy music scene and Portland is known for its liberal tendencies and what have you to be upon the media. Um, so I thought that was a pretty interesting association that since this is the last episode we'll be doing on Austin to bring up that like Portland Austin connection. Um, last episode for now. We may come back to Austin in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see why not. So, 
there's a lot of people that make that connection between Portland and Austin. There's been a lot of people moving or considering moving here as Portland has slid down in, for, <laughs> you know, it, it slid. Austin is not, I mean, Austin is very tempered by the red state that is the rest of it surrounding it and, and all of the guns that have Austin encircled. So like the, 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 the farthest left tendencies are sort of mediated by, by that. Um, I kind of want to go in order to a couple of things that was said. So um, to your point about Oracle, um, Mark, just so you know, um, Oracle moved here from Northern California. And this is just a few hundred feet from where uh, we are sitting right now. And um, I have done many episodes with Michael and had many conversations with people about what this actually so is. This building, sorry to interrupt, but I think I saw this building on Google Earth. Is it near the Capitol building? Is it proximal to like the main area of town? No, it's across. It's on the same. It's on the other side of the river. Oh, okay. Um, it's not far from there. Like if you were to draw a straight line, because there's right? a weird cube-shaped building near there, and it kind of looks like this. That's. Yeah, there- yeah, there's a lot. There's there's some other buildings with sort of some similar strange shape. Yeah. But this is just just right near me here. In fact, Vi- one of the Violet Crown roads is on the campus of 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 Oracle. There, I think it's a private road. Um, but uh, for a while, the biggest homeless camp in Austin was just right out front of this. Right. So interesting what you're saying. Now, I agree with you. Uh, so you said something about we were going the more dark, dark path tonight. So, um, at this point we might be able to kind of shift from the dark path to, to the light path. And that, I think that exists what you're talking about in terms of like walk-ins and empty vessels. I think there is some of that. I also think that there's some stuff going on here with um, virtual reality and holographic reality that has nothing to do with the headset. So I think that like some of the things we see out here in the public, they look like they're real people, but if you don't actually get real close to them and to check them out and touch them and bump into them, you might be surprised. I don't know if y'all have seen the new TV series, The Peripheral, but in one of the episodes, they show how a lot of the people that appear to be the public aren't actually there. But for most people, you would never notice the technology is that good. Uh, I think there may be a few things when you asked about smart cities. I think more than what we think of as a smart city, though that's definitely going on here, there's some more exotic things being experimented with here um, that some of the issues with um, light spectrum technology that exists because of some of the nature here, some of the possibilities allow for on a greater level. But what I was talking about is literally real travelers, people whose body have traversed timelines, dimensional d- dimensions and whatnot, and they are hiding amongst the 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 group of homeless people. In some cases, some of these people I think are um, graffiti artists or taggers, maybe they're hiding amongst gang members. Um, but some of the tagging that I see is in areas that I have identified as what I call jump off points, right? That I've seen and felt enough weird stuff there that I'll be like, there's something here and I'm, I'm busy. I'm looking at it. I'm testing all my angles, doing all my stuff. And then suddenly like a graffiti tag that I, it will show up there 
that I've also seen at another place that I've identified as being one of these spots, right? And I think there's some communication going on between people. I think they're trying to remember the spot that they came in at or left at and also leave clues behind for other people. Um, but I think that there's a variety of things going on with some of these people. I think there's like a few different variations. Holy shit. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So I think that Austin is particularly good. I think cities in general, but I think cities at particular times and cities that have particular mm -hmm. features um, become these sort of junction points or, or whatnot between the layers or the realms. And a lot of the activity that takes place there is because of that or, mm -hmm. or sort of part of the effect of that. Um, and I think that right now in Austin, and I don't know how long these periods last for, but a city that I would say has definitely experienced that is, is Detroit. I think Detroit was a portal that everything was poured into and then everything was sucked out of at sort of a later point. And then now you have this sort of repopulation of the realms of, of Detroit, the many layers and levels of Detroit that 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 is going on that I think is based on some sort of astronomical or energetic cycle. And I think Austin is in something right now. And I don't know if this period lasts 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. I don't know if it's an empire. I don't know what we're at. Even though I think it's been going on here in Austin for a number of years, I still think we're in the early days of it. We're still on the upswing. Austin has not hit its hit its peak yet. Um, but I think it's going to be a city of tremendous um, in industry and lore and all kinds of things going on. And I think that whenever we've seen a city rise like that, and then maybe even later if it falls, right, I think taking a look at the dimensional aspects, the many versions of reality that are geocached on that location and looking at them from a variety of angles, not just spatial or temporal, but like, you know, putting those things together in, in interesting combinations yields more interesting results as to all of the possible things you can access from that point. Would, would that be like um, talking about how, you know, like in the in one of the last episode that you were on the um the graffiti with the rainbow and and um like I had a personal connection to it and so like that's it's like me on a person me on a personal level is one one dimension and then sharing it is another dimension and then the the like us all seeing that synchronicity is 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 another dimension and they all are fluctuating and when you Sorry. sent me the email where you were sharing that story you told me and then in the email and then i told laura and then right after i told laura there was one person coming towards us on the trail with the pink floyd shirt and then another person <laughs> right one after yeah. the other right so yeah oh. th this all gets into it right yeah. but that that i see that um romy has his pink floyd shirt on tonight right and that was the sort of um rainbow spectrum that we left off with 
the last time I was on. And I did want to chat a little bit about some of what uh, Chad showed um, in the next episode you guys did as it relates to the sort of pyramid painted in the crease of a building downtown, which I have also featured on a couple of shows that, that I've done. And then also this temple of light, which I was not familiar with. Like I've learned some things about my city from y'all's presentation because I'm not as much of a history buff as some of you all are. I just go outside and use my own intuition and my own senses and my own experiences to, to sort of decide what things are. Um, so I'm excited to go to that Temple of Light, and I can't decide if I want to go right away or if I want to wait for you, Chad. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm playing that game in my mind right now. Um, but that pyramid that you showed is one that I showed as sort of like the capstone or the cherry on top for some narrative I was doing in one of my shows at, at one point with Michael. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Austin is a full spectrum light city as a rainbow city its connection to the wizard of Oz, which I think you also brought. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we can talk also a little bit about um, the mound in Butler park, if you want. So wherever you, whoever, whoever wants to take me away in the direction you want to go to um, I'm game for, for any way you want to play it. Go ahead, Chad. We haven't heard much from you yet. Go for it. Well, I'm interested in of one of your conversations with that pyramid hole. You know, when I found those pyramids, and it, uh, I'm interested on how how you found those pyramids and what you connected them to personally. Okay, you were um, distorted and frozen for a second, so I missed about the first twenty seconds of what you said. So you came in at something about up. pyramids, but I'm not sure which ones you were talking about okay yeah i was just interested in what kind of symbolism you you found with those pyramids i i was kind of basic in general and said it looked like it aligned to the pyramid giza pyramids i was curious what kind of sim, what what you found Okay, so okay, I guess you're talking. I wasn't sure if we were talking about that rainbow pyramid that's on the section of the one building, like the painted thing. I see what you're talking about. So first of all, oh, I wanted to. Well, we can talk about okay, both. Gotcha. But the way that you aligned the Giza plateau with the pyramids, like I was showing Laura, I'm like, you nailed it. We didn't talk about it at all, and I tell Laura this all the time. Like I go on and on to people about how. There's so many pyramids in Austin. They're everything. There's buildings okay. that are definitely pyramids. And then there's ways that one building like sort of looks against another building that creates looks of other pyramids. And there's certain buildings that themselves are a straight pyramid, but the way the lighting on them at night looks, it makes it looks like it's a step pyramid with a regular pyramid behind mm -hmm. it. It's almost like they're layering the Mesoamerican pyramids in front of the Egyptian pyramids, right? Like there's all of this and the way yeah. you lined yeah. it up was really good, right? But if you were to come here, I could show you all of this crazy stuff that like there's, not only is there the layout you're showing, there's other angles of the Giza plateau that you could get using different buildings. And one of the things that's really hard to show nice. when we're showing pictures of the buildings is that some of the buildings exist on both sides of town. And what I mean is 
like on the west side of town, you'll see some of those pyramids with the step. And on the west side of town, it'll be a straight edge pyramid that has an architectural feature on it that makes it look like step pyramids, but they're completely in alignment. So the fact that you like it wouldn't reflect, you wouldn't be able to see a shadow because the way the new building was built, like almost hides that in the reflection, right? And then there's all of these buildings in Austin that from one angle look like they are a rectangle or a square building. But when you actually get to the right angle to look at them from their triangles or pyramids this way, and then some of them also look like it coming down this way. The city is so psychedelic. Like I could just move you different points around the town and you would think that the same building you thought was one thing from one period of some civilization was now something else important in another civilization at another time. And it's the same fucking building, right? From the apartment that I live in next to the Oracle who can see all things, right? We have a seventh floor. We have a rooftop. And the angle, like the rooftop has like the business center and all that kind of stuff, has the pool. It's a very mid-century modern building, which I think is the best for examining this kind of stuff. But it comes to a corner that I think is the best angle to look at downtown Austin from a little bit of distance from. And when you look at it, if you sort of look this way, you see the Giza Plateau. There's an angle you can look at it where it looks like the fucking Champs-Élysées in France. There's another angle you can look at it where it looks like the Golden Gate Bridge connecting across the water there, right? I think there's something that they're doing with Austin that like whatever this portal is, it's an access point to almost any place in any time, right? And it always looked amazing to me downtown, but when I realized that it was all these things, like we had eaten some mushrooms when we were done, we went upstairs, we looked at the city and suddenly I saw this stuff and now I can see it sober in the afternoon and you know i can point it out to people it's easier to point it out at night but it took sort of that extra vibration the little extra knowingness that comes with that for me to sort of develop that sort of awareness and confidence that what i was seeing was exactly that um but yeah and the building that you showed the owl building the frost building that is also anubis right so if you look at it from one angle, like there's many angles you can look at this from. And there's a lot of lore about what this building actually is. And the idea is that the people, the architects who designed the buildings are from Rice University and their symbol is an owl. And so their owls were taking over Longhorn territory here in Austin, right? It's a good story. And then there's the 33 floors (laughs) and the masonry and all that stuff. But if you look at it straight on from the corner point of my apartment building over there, you can see that that thing's Anubis, right? It looks exactly like Anubis. And those striped parts that are his coat of armor, they look like particle accelerators. They look like sort of a stacked linear particle accelerator going up instead of this way. And when you were talking about the if your spirit or soul is as light as a feather what has say the way how does it go say it you said it uh, uh if your heart is lighter than the feather you're allowed to pass on to the afterlife all and you are reincarnated right okay so one of the fun and you were talking about earlier 
that in the Butler Park, they had the children's water fountains that light up rainbow colored, right? And then you held that multicolored pyramid graffiti next to them and you showed how each little fountain was like a little cone or a little pyramid like that. And you said, there's nothing more lighthearted than children playing in the water with the rainbow lights, right? And I think that is the magic of this city. Like there is the sort of what was the other side of the the prayer or the the saying you said about Anubis with if your heart is light of a feather there was like a darker side to it too. Uh, if it's heavier than a feather, you're reincarnated. Right. Okay. So right, right, right. So so there's an aspect of Austin, and I've experienced of it, experienced it where I was heavy where my heart was heavy, where I was sort of swimming in that darkness. But when you're in that sort of lightheartedness, that playful, more humored by things than you are bothered by them, there are realms and realities to this location that you can experience that just are not available. Like the same thing that looks amazing and magical to me now, when I was like in my drug stupor, like at a certain point, like all felt like dark and and like everything was wrong and the reality was not welcoming to me and all of this kind of thing. So like in that saying and with that building and you have like the owl that is kind of ominous and creepy and that aspect of what you said and then this lighthearted thing, it's very true of the energy in this city and like which versions of it you're going to get to experience based on the way you meet it. Love it. Love it. So I guess the big question for me would be, all that being said, architecturally, do you think the architects all got together and did this intentionally? Or do you think this was destined for Austin? I ask, I think about this all the time, right? Like I think about how, because I know what Austin looked like the first time I visited here, the first time I lived here and what it looks like now and all the times in between. It has to have been that someone had some foreknowledge. And I think what happened is I think that somebody, somebody or many people, I think the secret societies and the, you know, the, 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 the architects and which is another way of saying Freemason in, in some level, I think these people are, are travelers. I think they, they extend themselves into other spaces and places and times and they get a peek. I shared with you all last time how I got a peek of the future of Austin. I can't be the only person who was doing it. And my jam was like music and dancing and the things we talk about. But for some other people, their jam is like buildings and city planning and things like that, right? So I think you can move forward and backward in time and up and down in terms of the realms and get sort of like a a template or a view. And it's like, you know, I look around at the things that are in Austin now, and some of them were things from some of my visions in the past, but other things, there's like literally pieces, there's this one mural of graffiti on Lamar Street. And you guys did uh, a good job talking about Lamar and about some of the other important people in the history of Austin. But Lamar is like the main pass-through of where some of this, the, the highest sort of metaphysics are. 
there's this one mural that on that mural, everything on there is something that I would have associated with the symbolism and the memories of like what I consider to be the MK Ultra experience for me. And so I had to ask myself the question is what I thought was part of programming and mind control really just some things I viewed on my quick tour of Austin 21 years in the future that stayed in my mind and made such a deep impact on me. And because as we do as human beings, we think of like the neg the nefarious or the negative or the someone else doing it aspect of things before we think of like, well, wait a second, maybe like I looked into the looking glass and saw something, you know, saw something that stuck with me and it shaped the way that I developed ever since that point. Right. I don't know. Um, but I can take you when you come down this one mural and the amount of symbolism and symbology that is there that is connected to what we think of as MKUltra programming that I knew nothing about the first time I lived here and that I know all kinds of things about now, right? It's all on one mural, right? And so, it, you know, it like, it, it's bizarre. I mean, I, I, I have to consider that, that it could just be that, that I saw that and it made such a lasting impression on me that it acted to have some control over my mind from that point on. And that there wasn't even the necessity of there being any programmers or handlers or or anything like that, right? So, um, so I think that this is a good spot for that. I think you know the same thing. Maybe different iterations could be said of your spot in Detroit. And you know we've talked about some of the similarities between the two locations. Who was the one who brought up last time that the other name for Austin was Waterloo? Was it you, Romy, or was it you, Mark? It was Mark. I might have brought it up. I also just learned from reading from this book that uh, that it was also called the Holland Lodge. So, you know, Waterloo, mm. Holland, there seems to be something to that. Australia, also, I learned today, used to be called uh, New Holland when the Dutch found it. Or So Waterloo is an another thing that, at the time that I lived here before, I didn't know that that used to be a name for Austin. I always was aware that there was Waterloo things here. Like if there's a famous record store here called Waterloo Records, there's uh, now there's all kinds of businesses with the name Waterloo in it. Um, but that's a Dutch name. And one of the things that I have hmm. observed in my trying to understand sort of the metaphysics and the sort of like cosmology or like, Earth scenario for what's creating these phenomenons in Austin is I I, I do I uh, appreciate and spend a lot of time understanding the FPV Angel material and they have this one video that I could have sworn that they were using Austin as the location to show how the particle accelerators generate these sort of rainbows that are the sort of boundaries of a certain energetic field. It looked almost exactly like downtown Austin, but when I asked them what city it was, it was Rotterdam, right? So that's interesting that this is called the New Holland. And my guess would be that a lot of these cities that are, are situated with rivers running through them in a similar way may be built on a similar model. And I think one of you also said that 
uh, Austin was um, modeled after Philadelphia, which is in uh, Pennsylvania. And there's a lot of similarities, even though like Michael's location is not urban. And this one is, you guys see the Butler mound looks a lot like where his, uh, what's the name of his mound with the rights of the 40th parallel? What's it called? High point. High point. That's right. Um, but there's a lot of connection between Texas and Pennsylvania. One of the previous um, capitals of Texas was Harrisburg, which is the capital of Pennsylvania, right? And which is very, very close to the area in which Michael has done all of his work. Um, so you see a lot of these sort of signatures of other locations here. Um, but the Rotterdam video and the way it shows how the effects of particle accelerators create this sort of rainbow sort of almost like turn the city into like a spinal cord with like chakra points and colors that sort of make up the city. And Michael and I did a whole show sort of about this um, was really interesting. So finding out that water, I guess somewhere in my head, I understood that anything that ends in Lou is a Dutch name, but I hadn't thought about it. And I certainly didn't know about the New Holland Lodge. And the water creates the rainbow, Correct. right? And you need the, the the particle accelerators probably use the energy of the water to create the rainbows. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's it's all sort of part of the of the setup. And I think Romy and I talked about when he was on my show, a lot of these rotundas being sort of look, you know, looking like the head on look of a particle accelerator. Mm -hmm. When you guys showed, I wasn't aware, I think maybe I've heard this before, but I haven't paid a lot of attention to it, that there's the regular rotunda. And then there's the other, the, the, the what did you call it? And you said as above, so below, but you had a certain name for the kind of rotunda it was. <sighs> Uh, inverted inverted rotunda is that what we uh, called it oh yeah inverted rotunda was what it was called yeah so and then the guy fell through the glass between the above mm. rotunda and the lower rotunda like that is like incredibly symbolic um but with the whole idea that i understand from from the, the fpv angel material and what the particle accelerators do with generating these sort of rainbows or, or halo kind of energy field things is the one that's the rainbow is what we're seeing above the ground, right? And it's a reflection of the thing that's going on in these particle accelerators under the ground. And then that reflection is like sort of a phenomenon of its own that also interacts with things, but that there's an, like that also exists under the ground. So even though under the ground is solid, right? that it's creating like a circular energy field that the water or the land is like the midpoint of and and the sky is the above and the underneath is the down below but almost that there could be an exactly inverted rainbow below the city or below the location in sort of the same way right so when you have your rotunda and you have the upper and the lower and the glass in between, almost like the water in between, it's like a perfect symbolism of the reality above and the reality below. Wow. Um, well, I kind of want to touch on that. I want to show you guys, uh, if I may, show you some uh, geological answers as to why we might feel such a way uh, about these, these places. Because I was like, okay, there's got to be sort of magnetic anomalies or something going on and um 
And so say let's go here. So I was like, we were talking about pyramids and there's very prominent towns in Texas or Austin, Houston, and Dallas. And they seem to fit just like right in this like triangle of each other um, set up perfectly with all these counties and towns in between. I was like, okay, well, let's check out what's going on here. And this is an incredible website for anybody who wants to check out. This is mrdata.usgs.gov. And you can go and type in mineral resources and it'll pull up maps of that or critical minerals shows very important places of that. But for this instance, if you go to magnetic anomaly um, and then you start to scroll in like on that triangle of those three towns, then um, you start to see like heavy magnetic uh, anomaly in between Austin, Houston, and well, can you Dallas. explain to and us then, the scale there, Roman? Because you know. Oh, not, okay. Yes, so yeah, what's, absolutely. What's so the distinction blue between yeah, red and blue. Because that's is, like blue the is blue is anti gravity. There's like not a lot of gravity there. It's like actually, blue is the bottom of the scale. Like down over here in this Midwest area. So uh, gravity this is like, being like a magnetic force. You mean, like gravity a, as known as as the as the Bouguer anomaly, and then okay. there's the ice isostatic anomaly as well. Oh. You know, however science wants to try to define gravity as we know it. So the blue is like like less, and that's in there in the Midwest, and then pink is actually the highest you can go, like that violet, right? That purpley pink color up here, and that's heavy gravity and heavy magnetic energy. And so you go uh, ooh, in between Austin, which is here. You can't really see it with the color on. See Austin, Houston, Dallas. We're in that little triangle. And then, uh, yeah, then you hit it. And then apparently like right here in the, in the centerfold in between Austin, Houston, and Texas, or in Dallas is just heavy pink. And uh, you scroll out and... There's a lot more gravity action happening over here. Tectonic magnetic energy where, you know, we had the founding of the country and all that stuff. And then the less over here. And I just thought that was interesting because, you know, it all kind of ends. It ends in Austin here. Like this is where the hot pink ends. So it's like if you were to go from like New York all the way to Austin, you'd be like, boop, oh, we're here. This we're the, where the magnets end, I guess this is where the magnets brought us and where we just decided to establish Athens or some shit. I don't, I don't know, but thought that was interesting. Very cool. It, well, also, if you remember what we were talking about earlier with like the violet and then above the violet going back towards the red, that same pink color is almost like what you're showing there. Um, it, it, that is really interesting. Those, some of those areas that you were showing are in the way that Michael and I have looked at things where a lot of the most anomalous things are, somebody shared with me like a new Testament map of the United States that has Texas basically as Egypt. Right. And so the fact that there's this pyramid between those locations and, and, and what Chad was able to show is interesting. But one of the others that like the, the magnetism thing is really interesting and, and understanding magnetism and electromagnetism and 
you know, gravity and anti-gravity, all of this stuff goes in with many of the things we're looking at and we're trying to figure out what's really going on here. One of the things I've been looking at in the last couple of weeks, and it was funny because as soon as I started looking at this, we got the announcement of the achievement of nuclear fusion. You guys seen all the the hubbub about that in the last couple of weeks, but Mm -mm. I stumbled on to something called magnetic mirror fusion. Holy shit. I haven't had the amount of time that I need to dive into it to like really understand it. But on an intuitive level, it explains to me a lot of what I'm seeing with the architecture, with some of that really reflective glass we talked about, Romy, when we did a show together, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And and some of these buildings and the way that they reflect in one another. And I've done some really interesting shows with JJ Rain de Blanc about this as well and talked about it with other people. Um, But a lot of the setup for magnetic mirror fusion looks similar to the particle accelerators and the sort of endpoints of particle accelerators. Um, But it's very, it's a way of setting up like a confined space plasma field, that sort of energy, like it's its own energy field and it has its own sort of um, rules law. It's like creating a boundary around certain anomalies, right? Like it's its Mm. own plasma field. And so I'm thinking about that with like this pink area that you showed and that I mean, if you think about that, that was all along the Susquehanna area that Michael shows on the on the East Coast. I don't know if you guys ever follow. Um, his name is Mud Fossil University. Have you guys looked at any of his mm-hmm. videos? Oh my goodness, yeah, we've mm-hmm. been uh, we've been aware of him for a while. Actually, some of his work is in Connecticut, like right in North Haven. He's found a bunch of really interesting stuff and looked into some things that were pulled out of the ground in. Uh, in this like ancient tar pit of some yep. kind that they have, but uh, yep. we'll get into that when we cover Connecticut soon. He talks about that whole area that Michael covers with the Susquehanna mystery is like, he thinks that's the carcass or the body of Quetzalcoatl, right? And mm. he has like another dragon up on the West coast and other ones in different places. And he shows if you look at all of the like drawings and art and stuff that's been generated about some of these mythical beasts, like he can lay them over some of these geographic anomalies and it like matches one-to-one in the same way you did with the pyramids and the buildings and stuff like this here, right? So some of those areas that you had highlighted are the same as some of the ones he looks at. And so, you know, if you guys follow um, the electric universe, the Thunderbolts channel, like the way they show what like plasma dragons are and and some of these like geographic anomalies, the connection between magnetism or magnetic fields or magnetic mirror fusion plasma generated things could be the similar phenomenon we're talking about in terms of that. And so it's interesting that there's a color coding that goes along with that that you just showed us, Rami. Oh, wow. uh, there, it's funny about the magnetic mirror thing is one, one of my favorite occult books, I like to call it, was written like in the late 1800s by this guy, uh, P.B. Randolph. And he was like running cahoots with uh, um, Madame Blavatsky. And he wrote this book called Seership, The Magnetic Mirror. And it's all about doing these like clairvoyant experiences to enhance your psychic powers by getting in a room with mirrors and placing magnets close to your body 
and doing different experiments. And, uh, you know, and now we have this magnetic mirror fusion kind of talking about opening portals and whatnot. And, you know, but, uh, occultists have been playing with that, uh, playing with that for over a hundred years now. It's kind of crazy, but of course, modern science always just, you know, has to put a new bow on it, you know? I mean, if you can create a, a, a confined plasma field by this sort of mirror on both ends, energy generation control kind of thing, and that this is all being done in the same locations where people have had all kinds of strange time and space anomalies that have been related to occult things, or in some cases, nuclear radiation facilities or power plants or whatever. But if it's really this like sort of generating access to other realms or you know sort of transcendent clairvoyant seership experiences, whether you're actually going mm-hmm. somewhere else or just seeing somewhere else or, or something is, is fascinating to, to consider. And I would say that one of the, and like my mind thinks about these things, though I don't know that they're like linked in the hard, fast way one would like to say, but the magnetic mirror fusion is something like that. When I used to look at the same information, those words weren't there. They were using more standard accepted terms for the kinds of things that we thought were studied at these facilities eight, five, 10 years ago, that being nuclear fusion or the term fission or a few others, right? But there's some, we're allowed to talk about fission and we're allowed to talk about nuclear fusion, but we're not allowed to talk about cold fusion or Leonard unless it's in a negative Mm -hmm. light. And who the hell has ever heard of magnetic mirror fusion before, right? But remember what one of the first Mandela effects was? Hmm. We all we all thought it was mirror mirror on the wall, but they said then it was magic mirror on the wall. (laughs) Right? Hilarious. There's the first clue. Mandela effect was the Nelson Mandela one. Right, right, right. (laughs) But when it got like when we stopped when when everybody started paying attention to it, it was Bernstein Bears and mirror mirror on the wall. Right? right? Yeah. 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 I agree with you, though. That was obviously the the generate the, the what generated the the idea. <laughs> but you know, Mandela is the mirror, man. It's all the the letter M, baby. That liquidy <laughs> water of the that the conscious time void. Right on. Well, we have some messages from uh, listeners people who want to get in touch with us and tell us about their experience can email us at esoteric America podcast at gmail.com. But while we have you here, Emily, maybe we ought to ask you uh, what your thoughts are on the Scarborough building. Cause according to this listener, there's been a bunch of ghost sightings, even one that her husband had had encountered. So uh, maybe you're familiar with that building. I just want to make sure, hold on, I think I'm muted. Okay, no, no I'm not. I just want to make sure I'm not confusing it with the different building because I had something pop right to mind, but I, I don't want to confuse it with, okay, yeah, this is an interesting building. Okay, so this building, I've been to this building before. I don't think I've ever been inside this building. Um, 
This is an interesting building. I really like the front of it here. Let's show so people can see. I was thinking it was a different building than it is, but it's not. But I've definitely seen this building. What did so this person had said that there was ghosts and actually I feel like I is there a bar in this building? Maybe I have been to this place. I think we went to a cocktail bar at this building. Um, what was the story that this person was um was sharing? So they say that. While working overnight completely alone and locked in, uh, he, referring to her husband, was spooked so bad he packed up his tools and called the guard. He was working in a steakhouse doing some repairs that could only be done when the kitchen wasn't full of staff, and he was leaning into the machine he was servicing with tools in both hands. He was focused and busy. Suddenly, he got a cold chill up his spine, and the hairs on his neck stood up. He felt something pinch him on his right side above his belt, not a little pinch, but like a pinch using your knuckle and thumb rather than your fingertip and thumb. He immediately stopped what he was doing and called the security guard and packed up his tools and left. And he, that she mentions at the beginning that him and the security guard were the only two people in the whole entire building as far as he knew. So, uh, yeah, that, that was their experience there at the Scarborough. Oh, I think I know who the message is from. I think I know this this listener, um, because I I know there's a listener here in Austin whose husband repairs restaurant kitchen equipment, and I imagine Shout out that there's to probably Bird not. Bird Bear, that's their email. Bud's, yeah, Bud's yeah, yeah. Bird Bear. Yes, I know her. Um, so actually, I used to work right. I, I used to work right near that building, and I do think I've been to a restaurant in there, but I can't say that I have any experiences or I've heard much from it. But it is one of the most interesting looking art deco buildings, certainly like the 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 forward facing of it of 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 any in Austin. And I just was looking at the Wikipedia for it, and it's kind of interesting. The um the 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 Scarborough Sons hired architects Wyatt C. Hedrick and Edwin C. Crisell. Uh it's a different Crisell, but I have a cousin that is a famous architect also with the last name Crisell. It's a slightly different spelling. Wow. Um, and wow. you guys had Edwin, Edwin Waller, right? Yeah. Well, didn't you talk about Edwin Waller? Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, that, that caught my, my mind there that Edwin Crisell, um, I, I've never heard of that architect before, but interesting that it's the same name and that's an art deco building and art deco was, fairly contemporary with mid-century modern architecture, which is like the art, the architecture that I focus highly on that the cousin of mine was, was famous for. What's interesting is the Wikipedia page for Edwin C. Crisell does no longer exist. So there's a link there because it existed at one time, but it has been deleted. So that's so I've never. Oh, it's been it's been redlined. Uh, redlined. I've, it's the one red line on the page. Right. Huh. Um, so that's kind of interesting and expanding. And it, it used to be called, okay, what does it say? In 1893, Scarborough left R.H. Hicks in charge of the store and moved with his family to Austin, expanding the business to a new location in the Cressel building at the 400 block of Congress Avenue. I have spent a good amount of time at the 400 block of Congress Avenue, and that's the actual Cressel building. So the same architect in that building. And also, okay, the building that you, uh, when you mentioned this, the building that I thought it was, was actually the Littlefield building and Littlefield oh, comes shit. up. And, 
comes up in the in the the Wikipedia for for the Scarborough building. So wow. this this building right here, right, Littlefield, right there. Yeah, I got, yeah. I did some deep dives on that fool. I, uh, he's definitely a proponent in the 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 esoteric setting up of like the the um, the university and stuff. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that guy's a big yep. a big yeah. money baller. Yep. I actually think I like the the aesthetic of the Scarborough building better than the Littlefield building, but for some reason I had the two crossed. No. He's got that famous haunted house on the in the university, if I'm not mistaken, the Littlefield house. Yeah. Another yeah. another thing that uh Bub's Bear didn't bring this to my attention, but someone else did. I don't remember. This is why everyone should email because when we're on the podcast, I can't go through my Instagram and Telegram and reference all that. So please email me if you want your message read and and credit given. But um, someone said, hey, look into the Lyndon Baines Johnson Library, which uh, Mm -hmm. Roman, I'm going to share a link with you and then you should share it. Uh, with the audience please Um, but yeah it's it's an interesting building it kind of reminded me of the Beinecke Memorial Library that we have in New Haven which houses a bunch of rare manuscripts and uh, it also kind of has this like I don't know it's like a mix between you know what appears to my eye like brutalist architecture but then it also has like that federalist kind of you know you know uh imperial kind of detail to a certain extent i mean it's definitely very like uh obtuse you know and very kind of like plain it's it's not it i mean it kind of looks like a giant table if you ask me right like it doesn't really look like uh uh your typical library i guess so um the architecture that you're talking about, brutalist architecture, it's funny. This is also the second time today that I've talked about this, like in completely different ways. Nish and I were talking about this earlier. I'm quite fond of brutalist architecture. Um, and the reason I'm fond of it is because I think it's scaffolding for whatever your mind can project. So many of the brutalist buildings, whether they be in the United States, in Cuba, in the Soviet Union, which those countries are more associated with it, because that was a style during the you know heavily communist periods. Um, the buildings are built to Pythagorean principles in a lot of cases. So even though they don't look as ornamental as some of the cathedrals and Tartarian style buildings and whatnot that people are very fond of, the mind can actually project uh, that reality onto some of these structures And when you look at, if you look at this building, there's quite a lot of um, government or federal style buildings that look like this. And if you guys have seen the movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the access point to all the different dimensions was the IRS building. So the um, sort of stock that a lot of these government buildings look like that don't look as interesting as some other things Uh, might hide another reality inside. Um, But outside, that's weird. The guy in the middle looked like uh, Bill Maher on that painting on the wall. Um, But the uh, outside, if you go back to that picture from the outside, Mark, um, one of the things, and there was like an overhead view when we were looking down on it, that was interesting. 
Mm, was the first one that you were showing. Not that one. It was like where we could see that. Whenever I see all of these kinds of layouts and I see them sometimes on buildings or on the ground where it's like all of these black squares, it makes me think of strips of film, right? Or like my dad used to like the slide projector. Like he used to go on trips, take photographs with his old school camera, come back, have them turn into slides and he'd do the slideshow projected on the wall. But these squares look to me like strips of film or like the slide projector slides. The building kind of looks like a Polaroid camera. That's exactly. Hilarious. Right. So what I might where I'm going to with this is like the many variations of reality, right? Like each picture tells a different story kind of thing. All of these things have that look. If you look at some of like the FBI buildings and the CIA buildings. If you go and look at the building downtown that I showed you guys last time called the uh, proper hotel that I said that Elon Musk is rumored to have the penthouse of some of the upper parts of that building have that look where they look like squares on a film strip, almost like each window could be a portal into another reality. Right. You know, what's interesting about that, because I've always been curious about like our sudden shift from everything having angulars um, and having like rounded angles to going to steep angles mm -hmm. and like the like kind of spiritual connection between that is, um, well, corners are like vortexes, like creating like a perfect angle or creating like a corner is like, it's a way that it can kind of like trap energies and trap spirits that's why when you do the rotunda Ooh. ceremony when you're uh, letting like the president or whatever is having its its ceremony with the black box in the middle and the soul is supposed to whirl around uh, or like a teepee for instance you know the smoke is supposed to whirl around and go out the top and that's where the energy is exuded is when that the angles are at that perfect vortex on the top so but we moved away from that and like old um renaissance style architecture like you're talking about like has ogival um they call it ogival arches Whoa. where they're just like perfect egg shape so that's creating a vortex up top so everything was rounded and would shoot through the top but now we're in square buildings and it is um it's like it's almost like squaring the circle in the sense of like having these like you know obviously when you're doing like solomonic magic right the first thing you do is you draw your circle and you get your perfect circle but now it's almost like well we're standing in like the square which is like another magical uh shape you know that casting spells is like the new age of doing so i think we've definitely shifted i think a society was an absolute magical great thing that well, it was hold the had phone, its properties. Roman, hold the phone. Hold on a second. Put the put the image back up for a second, the one I just shared. Because I think you're making okay, a great on. point, but I do differ in what you just said about it being like I think I think yes to a certain extent they've changed the magic. They've commercialized it, but I think it's still there with the right lens, you know, and so one thing that I notice with this building in particular is that slight like curve to the walls there and it kind of reminds me of uh not only these temples in in egypt and the the mm -hmm. gate to the cemetery mm -hmm. in new haven but it also kind of reminds me of those shinto gateways you know in the way that you have and i'm going to share a picture with you in the uh chat real quick roman if you could share this next picture um but yeah, it's 
it kind of reminds me of this Shinto gateway. And to your point, Roman, you know, you have this like corners, these corners and like things, energy is like moving through this gateway around those corners. Oh, yes, very much. But, you know, you compare this picture, or at least this is a shape with what we just looked at. It kind of is reminiscent with those big like, you know, corners coming off the top of the roof and uh, almost has like Tara pointed out like a tomb like feel to it too, Mm -hmm. like Lyndon B. Johnson. I don't, I don't think he's buried there, but uh, the books certainly are holding, you know, the words of, you know, people who are long since past. And I mean, you know, not to take things into the conspiracy angle, but I don't think Lyndon B. Johnson is our most uh, upright standing precedent. If we're going <laughs> to list them all, you know, he's probably in the in the low, low bottom of the morally, you know, but anyways, yeah, so. So, well, I definitely, definitely wasn't alluding to these buildings not being able to harness energies. I think they're even, they harness almost more spiritual mm. energy because they're, okay. they add more angles. And it's like, I, I've heard people tell story. I love people's ghost stories. I'm always trying to hear people's ghost stories. You know, any parent, like any haunted houses you've ever lived in, please hit me up. Let's do a Zoom about it on the Patreon or something. I love ghost stories. Anyways. But a lot of common themes is that um, they'll have a corner that's darker than a corner. It's darker than dark, and the shadow is like beyond, you know, reasoning. And they're like, there, ha- there's something lurking in that corner. And um, yeah, it's I don't know. I, I I don't know what what type of uh, what what new deities may be being worshipped in 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 this new society that that has shifted since you know the the reformation or whenever the true societal shift was um i think you know we all have opinions on when society may have shifted i am personally in the bow house of the reformation and uh and, and that time stamp is kind of when the last like major societal shift was so i want to say first of all really good catch mark on how that looked like the shinto shrine like i wouldn't have thought of that at all and that was like pretty pretty spot on um yeah so I think with the what you were describing with all these rounded things, right? That was probably that was a different time in yes. in our reality, and they were. It was almost like that was a reality being created for everyone. And when we move to the these angles, your ability to access that reality depends on the angle you perceive it from or your perspective, right? Um, angles, angels, but when you look at those buildings or mid-century modern architecture in general, which is part of why I like it, if you look at this type of thing here, right? So you have very angled squared buildings, but you have these sort of glass windows and on that building that you were, I was looking for a specific kind of thing, but I'm not finding it the way I searched, but the building you were showing the Linda B. Johnson Library, you've got these squares And it's like a square next to a square next to a square. And the light is going to hit each one of those boxes at a different angle. And where the light and the glass and the angle come together, it's going to generate a prismatic spectrum. And each one of those is an opportunity. If you look into like the work of of, uh, Ibrahim Karim and biogeometry and the sort of doors to other dimensions that can open on the shadow side of a prism or like a rainbow reflected reality, this Mm. is like spiritual access to those doors of perception and whatnot. So I think... At a certain point, 
I don't know if it was a movement or a person or something. I don't know what the the generative uh, experience or thing was that made us go from like, let's include everybody in like the multitude of harmonious realities to like, we're going to seal this off for everyone except for those who have the perspective or the angle to see it from and then the knowledge to know what that projection means, right? Like, so we went from, you know, sort of all open to like, there's like a, a, you know, an access barrier and that access barrier is the development of your mind and your own personal perspective and what those, those sort of angles and and viewpoints, you know, elicit for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it did become more, you know, something that I don't want to say that it's like an elite thing necessarily, because quite literally anybody can do it. But for people who are spending all of their time toiling away to try and put food on the table for their family and all of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, they may not have the time to wander around the lake and notice that there's like this one building that has one window where the light reflects quite differently. And on a perfectly clear day, when it hits it at that angle, I see this fantastic rainbow that the other side of it is this location that when I go over there, there's something funny, like, right. That requires like an amount (laughs) of leisure time that not everybody has, but that. Oh, so maybe like all these amazing architectural uh, pieces that are going up all around Austin being reflected by this light are creating these different portals through these different specific yeah. prisms being, oh, ref- you got reflected. It. Oh, there you go. And that, the mis- that, one, the that picture that Chad showed of the, the, the sort of very steep Nubian pyramid that is painted like a light spectrum, it is painted in the recess of a building, right? Mm. Like right, kind of almost like right, in, not quite the center point, but like right in an area of downtown Austin that that is where a lot of this light and pyramid anomaly kind of stuff happens. Chad, there's something I cannot wait to show you when you come here that you cannot see on any pictures. But when you're looking at one of the buildings that you showed as part of the Giza Plateau, when you're walking towards it from one angle, it looks exactly like, did you ever see the black pyramid that Daft Punk performed in where it was like a black pyramid and there was like a clear window yes. cut out that they were spinning from? Did you ever see that? Yes. There is a pyramid exactly Absolutely. like that on top of that building. There's a clear pass through where I swear to God, like one day Daft Punk's going to be up there and whatever. Right. But <laughs> the way that this is, the way this entire city's pyramids and sort of light and angle and reflective structure are set up are to generate prismatic realities. I'm certain of it. And when I walked out, we we were just downtown eating at a particular restaurant. We walked out and we saw that rainbow thing like that. And I had been talking about sort of the rainbow representation of certain areas of Austin. And I was like, good God, they just sort of memorialized it in this fantastic painting and the light the colors are so vivid it's really hard to capture the light spectrum that you see with certain kinds of like glass and reflection or in the psychedelic space with like paint or colored pencils or anything like that but they did a really good job getting very very saturated tones that Mm. have that really strong sort of prismatic psychedelic feel to it um and that's exactly it 
right? That that is what is at play here is is the like angle the sort of you know the angles you get when you cut crystal or when you cut glass and light hitting them at an angle here. I think the technologies and the architecture that are being built here are all sort of reflections of that, right? That that it's 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 using that. And if we get into some of this stuff with magnetic mirror fusion, where you have certain buildings that are mirrored and the way they reflect between each other, like creating energy fields and distortions, and this gets into like, you know. There's other buildings that they literally have something built on them to make it so that nothing reflects in them. It's like they don't want to be part of the reflective reality being created by the other buildings surrounded it. And then there's other ones where it looks like they're fully engaged in trying to have as many reflections going as they can, right? So it's like an open system versus a closed system or wanting to participate or not wanting to participate or whatever, right? But Romy, what you said is exactly how I see it. Like this is where the hidden realities are. They're at these angles of perspective. And if we take the time and the sort of use our imagination and our creative mind and our observation skills and our thoughtfulness, you're gonna see something, right? Like the it, it, they're, they're, everything is hidden right outside of our visual, our standard visual spectrum, but here in plain sight. Yo, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 there's so much to tear, tear, tear into when it comes to uh, breaking into uh, the ang angles and why, why we, why we really shifted architecture because it was like, why, why, what's the like, who, who do we, who, where do we even go to try to find out when and where and why and how we actually shifted, uh, you know, architectural reasoning. You know, is it due to money and resources that we just become, you know, a lot of people are what the first thing a lot of people allude to is that we've just become more of a faster paced society. Well, it's cheaper and easier to know, create this way. You know but what I think, I there think might about be too, to that. I think about huh. it. I think about it like, you know, there's only so much space in a city and maybe, you know, architects have this sort of idea that, well, you know, that building's old, I can build it better, right? Like we don't consider it from their point of view of like, you know, oh, I'm going to create something better than that, right? And I think that's like a, a compromise now that they have to make with um, ambition and material resources, right? Like they want to build something big and magnificent, but they're, now they're trying to cut the cost. So now instead of using maybe what they would have used a hundred years ago, that would have possibly been more expensive today than it was then, uh, you know, so you have steel and aluminum standing in for like cement and, and whatever else, right? I mean, that's just my speculation, but I think that's a lot of what we see where people, you know, we as non-architects and people who just marvel at these buildings don't have the same perspective of the of the builders themselves who are like, no, we're going to tear this down and, and make something better, right? For what is better it differs from person to person. Mark, I think also one of the things that has been part of this is I think they're harnessing energy from reflection, mm. both in the sky and in the water. So at a certain point, building using building material, materials that were reflective, and this gets into a little bit what we were talking about with magnetic mirror fusion, but it seems like reflection is a way of harnessing energy. I don't know if it's just from like 
the water in the sky or literally from other realms, right? When you think about, we've all seen these like astral cities or these cloud cities that are kind of there. Some of these buildings with mirrored surfaces, if you look at some of them in some cities, they're angled towards the sky this way. And they're not solar panels. So it, it's a different kind of technology. It's some sort of reflective energy harnessing or like it could be powering something else like it could be that there be like people in another dimension who were like let's call our friends and have them build the like the the mirror uh the mirror angle here so we can grab some energy from that reality my guess would be i mean what does that jordy rose guy say that we're gonna harness other dimensions for their resources like i think some of this could be part of that. And it could be us harnessing energy from other dimensions or others harnessing it from ours. And there might even be like a back and forth. Like if you can create an energy field between two reflective surfaces and you have one up here and one down here, and there's just energy moving back and forth between them. And it's an eternal source of energy mm. that nobody mm -hmm. even needs to know about that doesn't have to, you know, steal from Peter to pay Paul kind of thing but they're not ready to let everyone know about it because then the rest of us wouldn't pay the energy bill and mm. and you know like there would be no time because there would be no meters and and everything would be different <laughs> right. so one day that will become apparent to everybody but i think we're seeing some of that now yeah i think it's uh Word. it's definitely go ahead tara just the way that we're interpreting the things that we're seeing and then sh and sharing it is is creating that like our own collective new collective conscious perception of what reality actually is and these things that we see and the signs and the language we use and everything go to create that or they it creates it it, it moves us closer to love <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I urge everyone and have to remind myself of this sometimes to spend as much time in like, what's the flips? Like we look at things and we're like, what are the fuckers doing? Right. But like spend as much time on the flip side being like, what can I do? What's the magical possibility of this? Like, what is the phenomenon that lies just on the other side of that sort of outrage or upset or whatever? Um, and I think the world starts to look like a different place. Like I feel after all of the stuff yes. I've done for the last year and a half, two years, synchromystically with Michael and having these adventures in time and space, I'm much more optimistic about my life and the future and, and what's going on around me mm -hmm. than, than I was for many, many years. So. Yeah. It removes the barriers of time and space. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well said. I really appreciate that, Emily. And I think that's really the the best thing that I've gotten out of this show is is the responses from people who say, oh, wow, thank you for, for doing this because it's inspired me to look into my own backyard. And I mean, we've only just begun, but I'm sure in a few months we're going to have plenty of people who, after finding out about our show, spend some time looking into their local area and reach out to us when they're ready. But Emily, this has been really fun. We appreciate you joining us not once, but twice in one month to cover Austin, Texas. And I'm really glad we were able to start off with Austin. Cause as I said, before you got on, you know, there's so much to cover with a place like Austin. You really couldn't do it in one episode like we were doing 
uh, with the old format of the show. So I hope everybody enjoys the new format of the show. Uh, we're all going to sort of uh, huddle up after we're done recording and plan uh, where we're going to set our sights on next. Maybe Emily has a, an idea <laughs> for us. Who knows? But I am excited uh, I think we'll be joining everybody in 2023 with a new episode. So uh, don't let me say the final word. Chad, <clears throat> you have anything to add before we let our audience go for the holidays and the new year? Yeah, well, happy holidays. Happy New Year, everyone. And uh, thank you guys. And thank you, Emily, for... Uh, awesome month of exploration it's been a really cool month learning a bunch of stuff we otherwise wouldn't have without uh looking forward to our our next exploration into our next area absolutely and uh tara final thoughts before we get to 2023 um i'm just gonna i'm looking forward to looking into our backyard and moving yes yes we're i'm really like again grateful for all that i have listened to and will be taking in from all of you and from emily sharing what you share and it's like hopefully i'll be able to share something of something valuable one of these days you have oh my gosh she's always so hard on herself you have you have you have you Let's have don't worry. don't worry and many uh, many 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 many, many you valuable goodness yeah and we will get to connecticut soon enough so uh, maybe that's where we'll go next month. But uh, Roman, thank you for for being here, brother. Any final words? Uh, yeah, Emily, thank you for being awesome. Uh, you you rip open the void of esoteric America. Now we have fallen into a trap of change and uh, some Mandela effect of our <laughs> own. So uh, the structure of the show has forever been uh, been changed now, and it was a pleasure to. To weave with you, I mean, honestly, you've gone deep, you've gone hard, and you're a fantastic researcher, and the way that you view things is awesome. And for all of the amazing, beautiful, awesome existers out there that listen and support the show, thank you guys so much. Um, definitely tune in on when and where we have to go next. Who's ready? Who's ready? Yes. Who's ready to look at, like, come on, let's go. Have you guys not heard enough to be intrigued? Are you not entertained? <laughs> well, then, I not shout you a challenge to look into your backyard <laughs> and email us with an area of where to explore. <laughs> guys, I want to thank you so much. I've really enjoyed spending time with you this month. I look forward to doing it again and hope maybe when you get to exploring Los Angeles, I'll be invited to contribute then as well. Uh, a tip for you as Ooh. far as a place that like I'm pretty high on for exploration, but haven't had the sort of space and time to do it um, is actually Indianapolis. Um, it's pretty interesting. Like Michael and I came into several shows. Michael and I did, but we never got to like, the super deep dive so i'd be happy to sort of 
point you in some directions and give you some background if you decide to go that way. I'm not an expert on it, but it definitely piqued my interest. Um, and um, you guys are all uh, major contributors to our community and our reality in different ways. I really enjoyed spending time getting to know all of you. Chad, I've known you for a while. I hope each and each of you come to Austin together or separately. Maybe we can have an esoteric Austin live event sometime. That would be really yes. cool to come and do a couple of days of like romping around and doing yeah, some like live research and stuff like that. And then maybe some talks or get togethers. I'd be super down for that or really meeting you guys up anywhere else that you guys wanted to, to do something like this. So thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity and the friendship and the stories and um, yeah. Happy holidays to everyone. I love it. I love it. What a great way thank you. to wrap up 2022. Roman said it better than I can hit us up. Get in touch with us. Maybe you'll find your way onto this show. Emily, thank you so much. It's always wonderful talking to you, and I really appreciate you joining us not once but twice to get into amazing Austin. And uh, until next time, we'll see you all in 2023. Enjoy exploring your way through the holidays. He was born in Mississippi, away downtown, fanny flags on the TNNO. He owed it to fame on the Boston, Maine, the Wabash and the teepee. From the old Grand Trunk to the Cotton Belt, he owed it on the Santa Fe. On the Lehigh Valley, he owed it a while, then he went to the Nickel Plate. From an old lake shore to the Erie line, he owed her to a Cadillac age. Now he owed his way to the CNA, the Lackawanna and I see. He rolled a rattler called a cannonball, then he owed on the MKT. Now the story goes that Jimmy's a kid had the odling mama so sweet. They'd go Cadillacing every night and they'd yodel up and down the street. He rode freight trains from east to west, then he fixed himself up nice. He had a beautiful home, all of his own, called the Yodeler's Paradise. Now they treated him good, they treated him bad, he never done any wrong. He just yodeled the yodel that everybody knows that yodeling break my song. Oh, do they, oh, do they, oh, do they.